there, it's Adam Leventhal here and this is the first of three editions of The Athletic Live which were recorded during the international break. Some bonus listening for you on the Ornstein and Chapman feed. Basically they were three live Zoom shows that we put out on The Athletic's Twitter feed that we thought you might want to have a listen to. So we put them out right here. This discussion asks the question, should there be a European Super League? It is a hot, hot topic and our expert panel were Adam Crafton, Matt Slater and Raphael Honigstein alongside me as the host. We hope you enjoy it. Let's get stuck in then. Who shall I pick first to outline the uh, the basics of this, of what is on the table? What is the European Super League? What are we talking about? Let's, uh, yes, Matt. I think Matt oh. is the man to do it. You wrote a fantastic article about this at the end of end of last month, just sort of outlining what it's all about. You've won the special prize. So, so what is the current guise of a European Super League that we're talking about at the moment? I think the short answer is it depends who you're talking to, when you're talking to them, uh, what their sort of hidden agenda is at that particular moment. I don't think there is a formal document circulating out there that this is what the European Super League will look like. If it is, it's probably a rebooted version of something that was drawn up in the late 80s and has been updated, scribbling out the names, changing a few, rejigging bits and bobs, changing the changing the graphics for 25, 30 years. I think the reason we're talking about it now, and I wrote about it whenever I wrote about it, is it, it, it came up again. It came up sort of simultaneously in Spain and the UK, and it was very similar to, to sort of recent iterations of this story. Clearly, Real Madrid, Barca in particular, feel that they've outgrown La Liga. And some of that is motivated by COVID. Some of that is motivated by long-term jealousy, concern, worry about the amount of money the Premier League brings in, which of course gets exacerbated um, in COVID times. And the backdrop to all of this is the fact that we are jockeying for position ahead of another restructuring of the Champions League, which we will probably keep coming back to. So that's, I think, the key thing here, that 2024, the contracts are all done, commercial deals, broadcasting deals are all done until then. But everybody knows change is coming, season 24-25. So we got another outbreak of European Super League talk, I guess, to explain that. Yeah, the big teams... 14, 15 of them, however, even an 18 or a 20, probably an 18, you'd have about a dozen permanent members, shareholders, all the usual suspects, and then maybe sort of five or six teams that come in in and out to keep it fresh. Play each other probably twice a week. Would the English teams get invited, want to say goodbye to the Premier League mm, to be discussed? Um, if they're going to play each other twice a week, they almost have to, they have to leave the domestic leagues. They'd have to obviously leave UEFA because it would be a rival competition to the Champions League. So that's where you free the time up, discuss. And there's all kinds of variations and flavours off the back of that. But yeah, it's a breakaway league of the, of the, of the dozen richest, biggest clubs in Europe, bringing in another seven or eight on a sort of circulating basis from year to year. Okay. So we know what we're talking about pretty much. Um, let, let's sort of divide Adam and, and Rafa in terms of views on this. Maybe we can sort of 
you know, broaden it out a little bit. Rafa, I'll come to you first of all, in terms of, you know, your, your spe- speciality, which is German football. What is the view on, on a European Super League in Germany in particular? So a European Super League in an extreme form where it supersedes the National League is, is not on anyone's agenda. Uh, not even the Bayern Munichs and Dortmunds of, of Germany will, will countenance breaking up, breaking the Bundesliga and just saying goodbye and we're now playing in Europe. And this goes back to perhaps a bigger point that I think it's worth making. Whenever I hear, Matt might disagree, but whenever I hear the word European Super League, I'd like to think of it as a sort of a nuclear deterrent. It's something that clubs bring up to pressurize UEFA into adapting the Champions League more towards their needs and the format that they want. Because the idea that they would just say goodbye, all of them, to their national leagues and then set up this league, I don't think it really washes. Because what would be the point of a European league in a true league format when you'll have one winner and what do the other 16 teams play for? They've got nothing to play for. So immediately, at least half of those teams are just having meaningless games. Yes, big, big teams involved, but if there's no jeopardy, if there's no sporting value attached to it at the end of it, what's the point? So even I think in its more realistic guise, the European Super League is really just an extended version of the Champions League with a knockout format, with a playoff format of some kind. And the question is one of access. The question is one of um, ossification. You know, how much can we protect this from the Atalantas of this world? Uh, I think it was a point that was made in Italy not long ago. So in Germany, there is no appetite for a radical move. But of course, um, Bayern and Dortmund, if they can leverage their position to get even more money from Europe, they will try to do it. And we're talking, I think we should be talking more about concrete ideas. For example, the Europa League, sorry, the Champions League stroke, Super European League being played on weekends. That is one of the key things that the clubs would like to push through. Um, And of course, the access issue. So to answer your question in a a roundabout way, and of course I touched upon upon different things that perhaps I shouldn't have. in Germany, they like some of the force. They'd like to sort of piggyback on, onto the more extreme proposals, but not with a real um, willingness to see them through, but just to use them uh, as a means to an end to shape the competition more towards uh, what they want to see in the future. So the key word in all of this, this is, this is leverage isn't it? It's, it's, it's not going to happen, but it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a threat, as you pointed out there, Rafa, that uh, big clubs can use against the, the domestic leagues and also the you know, UEFA in terms of Champions League negotiations and things like that. Uh, Adam, from your point of view, you know, what you hear in and around the big clubs in England, who's, I mean, we know Manchester United and, and Liverpool have, have seemingly been advocates of this, are they genuinely pushing for it? Is that the, the picture that you get as well, that it's all about sort of leverage? Yeah, I, I don't actually get the impression at all that even Manchester United or Liverpool are pushing for this at this moment in time. I think you have to separate 
what Project Big Picture was, which was about gaining more power and more influence in the Premier League rather than going off into a Super League. I think it very much suits the agenda of Man United, Liverpool, that top six, that big six group, to always have it in the background, that potential threat, as, as Rafa said, as leverage. But really, when you think about the Premier League, you know, from an from a international market point of view, it's far more successful still than all of its European rivals. So if you're one of those top six clubs that's been able to benefit from that, why would you want to risk, to, to risk that, that position that you have at the moment to go off into a Super League, which may not be as successful? At the moment, you have this sort of dual prize of both being in the most successful league and having the revenues and the sponsorship that come with that and also participating in the Champions League. But I think what, you know, what those big six really want is a bigger voice at the Premier League and also a bigger voice at UEFA. You know, they've already got that by having four teams in the Champions League. Maybe they push that to five. Maybe they push that to six in the years to come. But is there this real appetite to break away? No, I don't think so. But I think it very much suits them to have the threat there. Okay. So, I mean, we've talked about it from the, the, the club's perspectives, the, the country's perspectives. What are the, the, you know, the governing bodies saying? What, Matt, are, you, are UEFA and, and FIFA saying? Because, it, you know, this one, this latest um, incarnation seems to have the, the rubber stamp of FIFA, but without FIFA saying that they've rubber stamped it. Well, OK, well, this is where we get into the intrigue here. FIFA and UEFA have been fighting for about ever, and this flares up, dies down, right, depending on what's going on. It's, it's a battle about um, money, control of the calendar, uh, influence, broad brushstroke stuff. So FIFA, you would think, is bigger and more important. Of course, it has the World Cup. But UEFA has the best clubs, has, you know, most of the best countries as well at the moment. And, and that sort of concentration of clubs here is crucial because the Champions League is just a phenomenal generator of money which of course is why the champion the super league thing isn't really going to work but anyway but we'll just just carry on for a bit so you've got this uefa fifa thing that's been going on forever um fifa make a lot of money on the world cup and that has to keep them going for four years now johnny afantino has come from uefa he's the new not, not so new anymore but anyway he's the newish boss of fifa he gets that he knows he knows what the champions league does that would transform fifa's finances so he is desperate to get a little bit of club action. And FIFA's best club competition is kind of irrelevant. It's quite nice if your team's in it and you're winning, but otherwise the rest of us don't care. So the Club World Cup isn't a particularly wonderful competition. So they want to enlarge, expand that. They've got a Confederations Cup that is kind of your World Cup warm-up that goes a year before, sits in the summer. It doesn't make any money. Obvious, let's get rid of that. Let's put a really good club competition in there. Now, that's one of Infantino's pet projects. He's desperate to do it for a few years. So, again, in the same way that Rafa was talking about clubs using Super League like a nuclear deterrent, like a bogeyman, it becomes convenient. You can hang things on it. FIFA have entertained, flirted, whatever you want to say, with these talks to annoy UEFA to plant seeds in the minds of clubs. What, what Infantino and FIFA really want is their once every four years amazing Club World Cup, which we can have, I don't know, 24, 32 teams. Whatever, we'll, we'll, we'll start and we'll, we'll grow, inevitably. Um, because 
Infantino, as I said, wants that that club income. He does want to democratise sport. I think he sort of gets that it's probably not a great idea that one continent provides all the winners, um, and a great big tournament could perhaps do that. It could unlock it could unlock development in Africa and Asia and get South America going again, North North America. So so that's the FIFA bit, and FIFA have at times you know, let Real whisper sweet nothings in their ear and vice versa. In terms of the other governing bodies, obviously UEFA massively opposed um, because it, it kills their cash cow, the Champions League. Leagues, Rafa's already talked about the Bundesliga, Premier League, big no-no. La Liga, who really knows? I mean, look, it, it, Real and Barca are leaving, scuppers them. But you know, Spain's a strange place. The politics there can sometimes be quite hard to pin down. Serie A, well, what is Serie A these days? Is it is it is it what Juve want? I don't know. Ligue 1. Well, again, it, I'm sort of thinking it's it's PSG, isn't it? And, and perhaps Lyon and Marseille just holding onto their coattails. But there aren't there aren't any other really big obvious candidates in France to sort of kind of join the European Super League. So, and then you get into the national associations. You know, FA tends to be very conservative. DVB uh, would be DFB would be on, be along very similar as well. So, so there's an awful lot of opponents already before you start getting into to the clubs really want this. And then you start getting into the kind of umbrella associations that represent the club. So the European Club Association is the key one here, the old G14. And they are very tight, very tight with UEFA right now. And again, this just feeds back into this idea that this is just a negotiating tactic. That what this is all about, as Rafa has outlined, is as it has been in the 80s and 90s, and it's interesting they use the word nuclear deterrent or that idea of nuclear deterrent, because if nuclear deterrent was to keep peace, right, it worked. If the Super League is a mechanism to extract more money, more guaranteed places, the kind of tournament that the clubs want to play in midweek, well, it's worked. It's been working for 30 years, and I think it's going to work again. So that's what the Super League is about. People use it to extract what they want. I just want to sort of flip this one on its head a little bit here. Uh, and this is a question that has come in um, from one of our subscribers. Uh, if you're not already subscribed, just incidentally, if you're just joining us in on this live broadcast, go to theathletic.com forward slash UK subscribe if you want to uh, uh, join in and be able to read the likes of uh, Rafa and Matt and Adam's work. Mine too as well. In particular, if you're a Watford fan, you might like what I, what I have to say. Do join in. Um, this is coming from Chris L., this is. A, I'll put this to Rafa, and maybe, maybe Adam, you can join in on this as well. Um, would a European Super League help build stronger domestic leagues by removing the elitism of the bigger teams? Would this actually make this more interesting? Give the big guns what they want. They can go off and play. Maybe we can strengthen the, uh, the other teams, or is that just complete nonsense because the, because the big clubs are the ones that drive the TV revenue, Rafa? Well, I think you, you answered the question, but um, there is, uh, I think on a sporting level, there is that point to be made. It would be incredibly competitive if you take mm. out the top two or three sides. But of course, you do so um, at your peril because those sides drive the revenue, they drive the engagement. It's much easier if you want to think about you know, restructuring leagues, if you take out the bottom five or six, you probably wouldn't lose any TV money and make more money. Um, each, you know, the remaining clubs would make more money. To do the other way around would just take away a huge incentive. I mean, there are, there are numbers for this. Uh, Sky uh, in Germany have been 
broadcasting every single Bundesliga game live since 2000. And, you know, when Leverkusen play Wolfsburg, the viewers are in the low thousands. Some games in the second Bundesliga get, get hundreds. So it's just not viable. There just wouldn't be a business without these big teams. But it wouldn't be a TV rights business anyway. So it's, it's, not, really a, it's not really a possibility. And of course, you can flip that on its head again. Because the Bundesliga also know, you know, Bayern might threaten that they will leave. But actually, if they do leave, they are, they are leaving their home market where all the, made, the most money is still made. England might be different, but in Germany, and I know Italy and Spain are the same, for all the talk about the internationalization and the globalized nature of those brands, the overall majority of the income still is local through the local rights, through the local merchandising. Um, these are the important markets. And then, you know, eventually people think about China and America and stuff. So they're stuck with each other those big teams and the leagues and I just don't see a way out at the moment for, for either of them. Rafa, I think this is often used as whenever this discussion comes up, it's very much the bluster responses or if they don't like it, they can go off, start their own league, see how they like it. And I think it's almost this game of cat and mouse between both parties. So you have in England at the moment, this big six, they have their own agenda and then you have the other 14. And I know fans of clubs in that, Group of 14 hate the phrase big six because if you're a Newcastle fan or a Leeds fan or an Everton fan or a Leicester fan, you, you're asking the question, well, what have Tottenham really done over the last 20 years to justify being in that big six rather than us based on the last 40 years being in, in that six? But when it comes down to it, they all just need each other. All these, all these clubs in this ecosystem they need it the way it is at the moment because it works for them in England. I don't know if that's the case in all these other countries which we're talking about to the same extent. Do Barcelona and Real Madrid need Real Betis as much as, sorry, do Manchester United and, uh, and Manchester City need Crystal Palace as much as Real Madrid and Barcelona need Real Betis in their market? I'm not sure that's the case. I think those English big six clubs are probably the most powerful now in the whole of Europe in terms of deciding not only what happens next in England, but also in Europe. If they were really prepared to break away, that would redefine everything. But I just can't see, I can't see that happening. It makes no sense for them. Yeah, I, I'm not sure that's 100% right. I mean, when any Spurs fans watching this might be a little bit disappointed, but UEFA were not happy that Spurs were in the final with Liverpool because Spurs were basically a complete non-entity in European football. And the engagement just went down on that one side of the equation. So... I think the idea that, you know, the whole world is waiting for Leicester and, and Liverpool and, um, sorry, Liverpool, yes, but, um, you know, Chelsea, Arsenal and, uh, and Spurs to sort of play out their own little thing. It's in Europe, certainly not in Europe. I think world, mm. if we're talking about, you know, Asia, a global exposure, yes, these are huge brands and they're bigger than almost any other brands with the exception of the, the top two in, in the other big leagues or top one when it comes to PSG. But I'm not sure they could carry it carry this new competition by themselves no i mean the, the only thing i'd say is i was recently talking to some people close to the international champions tour um, international champions cup in the states where you have this pre-season tournament every summer and you have um, all the biggest clubs around europe in theory come together whether it's in the states or china for, for these tournaments and one of the questions i asked was why, why why are you so bothered about tottenham 
why, why do Tottenham matter so much? Why do you keep inviting Tottenham uh, to this place? And, and partly that's down to some brilliant politicking from Daniel Levy over the years in terms of developing these relationships. But it's also due to uh, infrastructure, a fantastic new stadium, uh, the way that they've welcomed the NFL into the new stadium, the growing stature of the Premier League in the States. And then it comes back to, does the European view of Tottenham matter as much as the American or the Far East view of Tottenham? Now, I don't know well enough whether whether that outweighs it, but I think that probably increasingly becomes a consideration. I, I, I completely agree with that. Um, but for a European Super League, I think, to really work, I, I'm not sure it'd be, be in the interest of that European Super League if it was just filled with English teams, because yeah. I think, as you said, most of their their global cash, if you will, is is probably outside of Europe. Now, that doesn't just diminish it. It just, I think, it's just a slightly different ge- geopolitical consideration. I just wanted to, to bring in a question, and it's sort of because as, as people watching, and I'm sure the uh, the, the Tottenham viewership has uh, dive-bombed, so thanks to Rafa and uh, Adam there, um, but in terms of the um, the opportunity, perhaps, of all of this, Jason R. asks... If we're to accept that football is an entertainment product made for TV, do you think that a European Super League is actually a necessity? Entertainment needs to keep evolving and perhaps this is it. You know, from the, if you look at the, you know, one of the biggest rising sports um, in terms of participation in the world, it's esports where you can pick the big teams, you can see the big guns head to head whenever you want. Maybe there are two different questions here, but. Is there not the possibility that some sort of evolution where we do see a tournament? Perhaps, you know, Adam's been talking there about, you know, the, the busyness of, of pre-season tournaments and things like that. Maybe it could, it could fit in there. Do we not need to evolve and, and see, this, see this down the line? I am, just, just to let you know, playing devil's advocate. Oh, I love, I love esports. Well, look, there's, isn't that the answer? European Super League, crack on, guys. Esports, you can do what you like. Can the real football, we'll, we'll stick with the way we've been doing it for 150 years, if that's all right with you. No, no I mean, look, I, I think esports is a, is, a, is a really interesting point. I think it makes complete sense. Absolutely. The teams are doing it already. The clubs are doing it already. They're, they're ahead of the curve. They don't need to be us to tell them to do this stuff. They're doing it. This, should, this is virtual reality in every sense, that we should, oh, it should just be not, not um, the real thing, but, you know, in, in cyber, in cyber yes, space. Yes, but, but, so just, but, but just to sort of kind of entertain the point he's making about football being live content of course it is that's when you talk to anyone that's interested in football these days in terms of getting into football in terms of investment that's the way they talk and there is a, a widely held view that uh well this is not controversial stuff that the middle class around the world is growing the middle class needs entertaining um sport is still cheap particularly if you want to reach men abc ones cost per minute is less than downton abbey game of thrones marvel films um, football in particular is cheap, unlike the NFL, NBA, maybe not the NBA, but certainly NFL, it has genuinely global appeal. People will watch it pretty much everywhere. Um, so, hey, you're right. Premium content for the good stuff. I think my point around Super League is there is premium content already. It's called the Champions League. Mm. Pretty good. I'm neutral. I watch it. I like it. I watch fair amount of Premier League, I don't watch much, so I haven't got a dog in that fight, but you know, when there's a good game and I watch it, and that's, that's enough for me as a football fan. Rafa mentioned Jeopardy, that's another word that broadcasters often use. We have it, it's called relegation, 
playoff fight. There aren't that many dead rubbers in the Premier League. Again, pretty good, pretty good size, pretty good product. Dead rubbers in the Champions League. And it's interesting that we're probably going to get more, but maybe that's just something that we have to, that a bone we have to throw the big clubs. I don't, I don't see this as inevitable at all. I really don't. I, I think one thing to, to throw in there, another TV term is scarcity. There's a danger that we have too much. Don't forget the really good products that do really well, like the Masters Golf we're about to watch, does well because it's scarce. Tour de France, things like that, once a year, three weeks. Let's not go crazy, guys. Let's not let's not add a fourth weekend. It works. So that's just a word of warning from 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 history, I, I guess. And just one little thing on the on the Spurs thing. I'm not I'm not going to join the parliament there. What I will say about why they keep getting invited to things in the States is, the thing about North America is there's an awful lot of people that have just really got into football quite recently. So they don't remember that Nottingham Forest and Aston Villa and Derby County used to be good. They actually think Bournemouth are pretty amazing and they're absolutely gutted that Bournemouth have been relegated. They think, what's happened to Watford this season? Watford have been, you know, what's, what's happening? What, Leeds? Who knows the Leeds swapping places with Watford? So all these clubs had a fresh start and Spurs have actually played that really well. Anyone that has spent the last five or six years cementing their Premier League status by going to North America, kudos. Well done. Clever. Blackburn Rovers, who are they? <laughs> I just wanted to remind everyone because um, we'll, we'll get a good taste. And I think, you know, the, the narrative is that, yes, this is, this is probably not going to happen anytime soon, even though, you know, 2022 has been mooted within the last sort of, you know, six weeks, however unlikely that is going to, to be. But we wanted to sort of get a taste of what you think. Um, and there is the poll underneath the, uh, the tweet that you're watching this broadcast on, uh, just to let us know whether you think uh, there should be a European Super League. I, I will just give you a little idea of how the voting is going. It won't surprise you in any shape or form. Uh, currently, yes, 13%, no, 87%. So if you are, you know, vehement, like some of our subscribers, that maybe we need to involve, uh, evolve and we maybe need to have a European Super League, you can uh, change that vote. But we appreciate your votes and we appreciate the, uh, the questions coming in from our, our subscribers as well. But just from Rafa and Adam's point of view, I wanted to sort of bring in the, you know, the context of us having this conversation now at this time, during a pandemic, um, and Adam, I'll start with you in terms of you know the, the narrative in England at, at the moment. How inappropriate is it? And you mentioned Project Big Picture earlier on, for us to even be discussing the fact that the rich should be getting richer, and at the other end of the the footballing scale, there are going to be clubs that are going to the going to go to the wall. Hopefully, they won't, but it's looking as if they may well do if we don't get fans back anytime soon. Is this just an inappropriate discussion to be having for, for the big guns to even be talking about it in their, in their Zoom boardrooms? <laughs> I, don't, I don't think it's inappropriate. I, you know, I think all, we've all been saying for, you know, for decades, football needs to reinvent itself. Football needs to talk, to talk about itself more, to, to come up with a plan to save itself, even though it, you know, on, in, on many levels it actually works quite well. You know, I don't think it's inappropriate or offensive to ha to have these discu these discussions, and I think also crises, as as you know, as cynical as it sounds, are opportunities for other people, and I think that's how certain parties have clearly perceived what's happening at the moment. They've seen, you know, certainly in England, you can talk about uh, clubs in League One, League Two that are really struggling at the moment. 
We know they need a bailout. That might come from the government. More likely, it's going to have to come from the top of the Premier League. If the Premier League is going to produce the funds and they want some something in return because, you know, like it or lump it, that's how the world works. So I think that's what's happening at the moment. And you're seeing a very public negotiation play out. I think it's also true that during this pandemic, we've, we've probably seen more briefing from Premier League clubs than ever. Certainly, I, I can remember my career is a lot younger than the other people on, on, this, on this call. But I, I can't remember clubs being so leaky as they've been during this period to make it very clear what they think about certain things. And that's great for us, but it also makes it very clear that there are people looking to defend their interests. There's looking, people looking to exploit. And I think that's why it's playing out the way it is. That's why you get Project Big Picture emerging at this time. That's why you get realm, you know, reports in Spain and England talking about a Super League because everyone's looking to push the boundaries. So, so maybe then, you know, let, let's pull out from what you've said there. Maybe it's not inappropriate. It's all about evolution and we should be looking at that. Is this the, is this the perfect opportunity to completely, you know, rip up all the models across European football and start again and plop this Super League at the top, Rafa? Well, I mean, I have to go back. Get rid of the Europa League and let's, let's, let's do this. Let's just have the big guns and maybe the clubs that don't ever have ambitions of playing European football, maybe they just need to settle for, you know, stronger domestic deals. And maybe we just only have the big guns playing European football. Maybe this is the time to do it. But actually that's what a Champions League does already. But you still have a window of opportunity, you know, Leicester getting into the, into the Champions League. You know, as you mentioned earlier on, Atalanta, you know, having, having this, you've still got that, that little opportunity. Is, that's what, is that what's stopping? Is it the romance that's stopping this? Uh, no, I don't think it's the romance. I think it's politics because UEFA um, have to always walk the tightrope between satisfying the demands of the, the biggest clubs and the biggest brands, but also all of their members. They can't just completely leave them behind and they use the Champions League with its very limited openness as a way to redistribute some of the money back to the members. If you close it up completely, then it's very difficult for UEFA to say, okay, we only have English, German, French and Italian teams, but we still have to feed um, you know, the Czechs and the, the Slovaks and the Austrians. The clubs will then say at that point, we can just go, go, why do we need UEFA? So UEFA kind of almost have to keep it open and have to consider the smaller sides because if the moment they don't, then they basically prove to the bigger sides that it can be done without it. Uh, so there's a kind of a moral hazard almost in giving in too much because then uh, the club's saying, okay, at this point we don't need UEFA anymore. But I just want to go back to something that, that Matt said. I mean, I think a lot of the super, uh, European Super League push comes from people who are thinking, you know, the Americans have the best teams playing each other all the time. You Europeans, you're crazy. Barcelona and Liverpool might not, might not meet for three years in the Champions League. That's insane. That's, that's stupid. The counter-argument is one of when they do meet, the whole continent tunes in. It's super meaningful, at least if it's in the knockout stages. And uh, it's, must, it's, uh, you know, it's an appointment television uh, in a sense that perhaps an NBA game early on between the two best teams quite isn't. And um, I guess what UEFA can say is, you know, if you compare the money that they make to the money that the Premier League make, and then you put it in relation to the number of games UEFA provide and the number of games the, champ the Premier League provide, actually, 
you could make the argument that UEFA money is actually getting in more per game than the Premier League. So they, they say, yes, we have fewer games. Yes, we have fewer games with the big sides. But that scarcity, that exclusivity actually drives a lot of demand. If you take that out, then who knows what's going to happen? So I think UEFA, you know, even for sort of just simply editorial reasons, if you will, are very wary of, of pushing too far the other way because what they found over the last 60 years in European competition is that the format in, in sort of in, in its fundamental sense works really well, even if it creates absurd situations like Diego Maradona's Napoli, you know, only ever playing a couple of games in the European Cup. That's the price you pay um, for an ecosystem that has delivered and has actually worked by and large. Adam, did you want to jump in there? Yeah, I mean, it's actually, it's a different point, but, you know, at the risk of making the, the very populist argument, it's probably a question for Matt. It's at what stage do you think the other stakeholder that we've not really mentioned yet, besides for, for our poll, at what, at what stage do you think supporters would actually be consulted over something like this? And, you know, I presume from what we've seen over the past few years that Germany would probably be the best at that. But may, I don't know, maybe not in, in this case. At what stage do you think fans might actually be consulted, if at all, about something like this? We should have, we should have a European referendum, Matt. That's basically <laughs> Everyone. That will solve it forever. <laughs> Just a simple yes and no question without fleshing out the details. Exactly. That's, that's all you need, Matt. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we'll have a big round about the question first. Yeah, so when will they consult fans? Too late, probably. I mean, look, this, this often gets asked. It got, it got asked yesterday uh, in the Greg Clark disaster class about consulting fans and you know at what point is a strategic review and when do you bring them in look what they what just what the clubs will say is who's closer to their fans than us you know we rub up against them every day um we we are we have our finger on the pulse could you for fifa say that in a meaningful credible way i mean probably not but but the club certainly would say look we know what our fans want Bit of an issue there because is there any one type of fan, particularly for these bigger clubs? Are they talking about the fan that lives down the road that get the buys a season ticket, that buys a shirt every year and sends their kids to soccer schools and all that sort of stuff? Are they talking about the fan that they're all aiming for? This fan in Beijing, Bangalore, wherever it might be, which we haven't quite monetized yet. So, so there's a, there's a sort of issue around the fan, which fan, how fan. But look, certainly the clubs will tell you that look, we do. We do it all the time. We know, we think we know what most of our fans want. I think Rafa was, I, I, I thought it's good to sort of steer this towards UEFA because UEFA to me are the, are the keys here. And, and they, they have a, to get serious for a moment, have, have a, not for long, but hopefully, have, have an almost impossible task here. And this has been the story of this for, for years, but it's particularly hard now. So Alexander Seferin came in, he's the, he's the, the guy that's in charge at the moment, from Slovenia, and he kind of was a surprise candidate at the time. And he did it by basically saying to small and medium-sized countries, I'm your guy. You don't, you don't want another Englishman. You don't want another German or French Spaniard. Look, I'm your guy. And he, uh, you know, he, he fought a fantastic campaign. And he's been a pretty effective leader. He doesn't, he's not everyone's cup of tea, but you know, he's, 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 good. he's pretty good at what he does. 2024-25 is the time, though, for him to sort of kind of deliver on that. Because one of the things that the, the Champions League has done 
whilst being successful and distributing money and there is you know around that solidarity but there is at least solidarity and a lot of leagues and clubs depend on it it has been the rocket fuel it has been the difference maker that has destroyed competition competition destroyed the competitive balance and this is where we start getting into that comparison with north america again it's the champions league it's uefa that has done more than any of the domestic deals because that's why you get these serial winners in 25, 30 of the countries around the world. It's because every year they get to enter the Champions League and they have a massive advantage over the other teams in their league. And it, it compounds. It, it, it's almost impossible to break into. And I think UEFA knows what it's done. That is a very much an unintended consequence of the success of the Champions League. So here we have this chance to, re, to restructure. And what Seferin would like to do was he'd like to be a bit more like the Premier League. He'd like to share it out a bit better to help your Leipzigs. And, your, and it's often actually called the Ajax problem. This idea that a really good, famous club that can get together a team every generation and make a run to the final, but then gets gutted by the Premier League, Bayern, etc., Barca, Juve. Why does that have to happen? If, if IX could only be more like one of the big six, like a surrogate member, it wouldn't have to happen. But it keeps happening because they play in a small market. They play in the Netherlands. Atlanta are probably going to be the new IX. Copenhagen every now and then might to say that they're a part of the, they're a bit like IX or whoever it might be. But these dominant teams at home that are just forever faces pressed against the window, looking at the big six here and, and, and they're the ones that have these absolutely must-win games when the rest of us are just still sort of coming off the beach. You know, Celtic, Ajax having these huge playoff games in July and August when the rest of us are like, what, is it football already? God, the last test match hasn't been played yet. So that is one of the issues that Seferin's got to deal with. How does he make things more democratic? How does he share the money? And as soon as he starts having these conversations, what happens? Super League. Yeah. That's when the big clubs go, we quite like our four places. We quite liked it when the, the 16 was all us lot. We might make a concession for Ajax. We quite like Ajax. But the rest of them, no. The, the problem that the Bundesliga, for example, have is that they're right now they're talking about the way money should be distributed. Uh, big, big surprise, like everyone else. We're talking about the domestic income and the international income for the Bundesliga. And uh, the argument from the big clubs is we should be getting more as we have been because we represent the Bundesliga abroad. When we have a successful Bayern Munich, that's when people worldwide feel that the Bundesliga is a competition worth watching. And actually the marketing pause and all that kind of stuff backs it up. So it's very, very difficult even for the Bundesliga to say, okay, we should get more money because if you take down Bayern Dortmund level, there's a knock-on, a negative knock-on effect when it comes to the international marketing rights, when these teams are no longer involved. And the best uh, history is actually a, a, a great lesson for this because there was a time not long ago, but 15 years ago, where the Bundesliga was incredibly competitive. You had four or five different champions in eight years. Who was watching? Absolutely no one. Because Bayern were in the superpower then, Dortmund were in mid-table, and no one felt the need to watch this. The same as France. You know, you had a period where... Montpellier won and Lille won and it was incredibly open and none of us in this room watched more than five minutes because it wasn't perceived as as competitive 
in, a, in an absolute sense. It was competitive in a relative sense, but we didn't perceive it as quality. So even those who want to see more competitive domestically then have to think about the knock-on effect internationally, which makes it very, very complicated. Okay, we've, we've reached 45 minutes, but the, the, the board has gone up and we have got a bit of added time, which I will give you an opportunity to um, give us some, some closing remarks. Short and sharp, gents, short and sharp. In terms of, you know, the answer to the question, ultimately, should there be a European Super League? From your own perspective, I mean, you've given us an amazing amount of insight from, from everyone else. Your, your own personal uh, opinions. Is there anyone there that, that would like to see one? Or are we going to get, a, you know, an, an unequivocal answer of no? Adam, I'll, I'll give you first, first dibs at it. 30 seconds, sort of trying to sum up, sum up the, uh, the question. No, because, I mean, I think it's a case of a lot of very rich and powerful clubs chasing a pot of gold at the end of a rainbow, when in many cases it's actually there already in front of them. And this thing that they're chasing, it doesn't exist, um, I don't think. I don't think it would work for them. I don't, think it, I don't think it would work for any of the different stakeholders. And I think also, as a, you know, imagine expecting fans to go possibly twice a week abroad to watch their team, in addition to subscribing to every different television platform, uh, hopefully the Athletic as well, along the way. Um, so I think that's going to be, you know, I, I don't see how it works for anyone. I quite like football how it is in the main. I think we need to change certain things in, in English football, get rid of the Carabao Cup for starters. But, you know, there's different things that we can tweak without ripping up the whole structure. Matt, and I mean, we should mention, you know, the structure. Are you are you wearing a South End shirt? Yeah, I, th- I sorry, I hadn't had the shirt. 45 minutes. Yeah, I know. Sorry. I do apologise. That's sort of from the, the Collymore days, isn't it, that one? This, this is, I've worn this because this is from the Anglo-Italian days. Oh, the, the European... Yeah, when, when we were in Europe. Did you, in the 80s. Yeah, in Mascara, the... Cagliari. Big games, huge games. Massive games, yeah. Um, barring, Does that get you into the Super League? <laughs> no, we've been, we've, been, we've been stitched up. It's like the Ajax problem. It's the South End problem. <laughs> so closing, closing points, Matt. Yeah, it's, 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 a no, it's a no from me, Adam. <laughs> uh, but for, for similar reasons to... Similar reasons to the other Adam, Adam C. Though I was quite interested to hear that the youngest person here is the biggest conservative. I like football the way it is. Well, forever. Can't stand still, Adam. Come on. The, the one thing I really want to happen is a 2020 style format change. Ooh. Which I think could, which, so for example, you could have the Carabao Cup become a seven aside tournament. So in the same way you have like rugby sevens or cricket 2020. If you were to say to Jurgen Klopp or Pep Guardiola at the start of each season, there's this new exciting tournament. And not only do you have to construct a squad for your 11 side, you also need to be able to cope with this situation as well. I think that could be quite interesting and would also bring in that, you know, that audience that all these different stakeholders are so worried about enticing and losing if you have these superstars play off each other in these small-sided formats. I do think that would work. I also think that Twitter might be about to explode at me, huh. even <laughs> suggesting it. But you could play... You, that's a good idea, though. And I, I think that idea. about Southend's, you know, heritage of, of, of getting close to winning trophies, at, you know, on a, on a big scale. One of Watford's greatest successes was winning the, uh, the London Five-A-Sides back in the day. So <laughs> oh, yes. that's not a bad yes. idea. You no, could do no, this no. seven-a-side tournament over the course of a, yeah. 
over the course yeah. of a weekend. It would be fantastic. We digress. Rafa, last points to you. A bit of a bit of sort of um, solidity from you in terms of where where potentially are we going to go with this? Is it going to keep rumbling on, and it's just going to be it's just going to be a, a stick that the big big guns use and bring out whenever they want? Yeah, I think. I think the European Super League is something that is going to be incrementally happening, evolving out of the Champions League without ever cutting off the connection between the, the big clubs and their local leagues. It's never, super, it's never going to supersede the domestic big leagues, but it'll probably become more and more a rival competition in terms of when it is played, how many games have we played, the kind of access. That process, I think, is, is irreversible. What I do think is there is scope perhaps for not the European League, but for regional leagues. I think it's also perhaps inevitable that the Ajaxes and Rangers and, uh, you know, um, Salzburgs of this, of this world will find it increasingly difficult to survive just playing in their domestic league as their main competition. And we might see something like the airplane, you know, airline consolidation where at some stage, European nations think it's great to have our own airline, but actually it costs so much money. Why don't we go with the Germans or why don't we go with the Belgians and, you know, just or have a Scandinavian airline rather than four. And I think that is a three. Uh, that is maybe where we're seeing not Europe as a total idea, but the idea of a hom- more homogenized uh, European football evolving. 100%. Okay. That's going to happen. And that's going to happen. Yeah, that's going to happen. But that's been on the table as long as this, as an overall European Super League, but it never seems to happen. That it's going to, it's already happening in women's football. And I, look, you wait from FIFA have basically dropped the opposition to it. So it, talks are happening right now. There we go. So the evolution is happening, but it might not be as, as, as big gunny as, as we've maybe been talking about, but it, it might suit some. And that is, that is a good thing. Right. I wanted to say a big thank you to, to Rafa, to Matt, uh, to Adam. Um, it's been a pleasure having you on board. Thank you very much for your thoughts. And for everyone watching, if you want to read more from, from these guys, from myself as well, uh, do subscribe to The Athletic uh, at theathletic.com forward slash UK subscribe. We have this evening been asking, should there be a European Super League? And I think pretty much we've all concluded that there probably won't be, there probably shouldn't be, but there should be a certain element of footballing evolution, especially at this time.